This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, we are going to talk about the 54th Massachusetts and the movie Glory. Welcome to the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I am your co-host, Mary, and joining me tonight is Rail Splitter Jeremy. Hello, everyone. And Rail Splitter Nick. What up, Rail Split Nation? Those of you waiting to get in your virtual Comic Con panel. Um, <laughs> and uh, you got the NPR voice going tonight, Mary. Do I? <laughs> yeah, you, you did. did really, you really did right there. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and also That's joining good. us tonight is Darren Weeks. He is um, from Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and he is a fellow Civil War nerd. And he's joining us tonight to talk about 54th Massachusetts and the movie Glory. So welcome, Darren. All right, thanks for having me. What's going on, guys? Not much. Good to have you. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Like the beard. Yeah, you know, it's had about eight or nine years now. I mean, I don't have the epic beard that you do. I'd love to have one of those, though, someday. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a hero beard wild. right there. It looks like Jeremy's trying to catch me nowadays. He's usually uh, this is this is just the I've given up. It's it's you know the Corona giving upness. I was going to so. say, is that your Rona beard? It, it is. It is. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, my weak attempt. This this is taking weeks, and this is all I got. <laughs> well, I, I th- sharp. It took uh, it took Jer like a long time to grow his beard that he has, and it's still not that like. I mean, it's filled in, but it took a while. So um, so anyway, um, again, welcome to the show, Darren. So this is like the Rail Splitter podcast. We are not like professional, like I said, <laughs> as we were talking before we started recording. So anyway, um, how did you get interested? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think I'm pretty professional. <laughs> okay, fine. Nick is the only professional on this show. show. Oh, before we go any further, though, Nick, did you see the birthday gift that I posted for you in the Rail Splitter Twitter feed? Did you do this today? Yes. I just saw my phone blowing up. I haven't looked at it because I was doing stuff around the house. Should I look at it right now? Yeah, have a look at it. I got I've got I just remembered I have something. With me? Yeah. I just remembered I had something else to talk about too. Um Oh god. <laughs> what a loser. Miller Fillmore. Yeah. Terrible. I'm gonna. What I what I did is my friend was out antiquing, and um, she found a um, a Millard Fillmore framed picture, and she sent it to me. Darren, one of the jokes on the show, um, since you've listened to a few episodes, you probably know Nick drops Millard Fillmore references left, right, and center. They're all Millard Fillmore. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thirty nine dollars for this shit? Ridiculous! That's a rip off. <laughs> rip off. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Darren, how did you get into Lincoln in the Civil War? Well, it has to do with Millard Fillmore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, basically, you know, you grow up around this area in Massachusetts. You're, you know, you have history all over the place, and so everybody picks and chooses what they're interested in. Most people hear Revolutionary War, Sam Adams, you know, John Adams, all that stuff. And I, got, you know, I, my niche was always the Civil War because I was just so um, fascinated by 
the people involved, just the, the, ca the cast of characters, the fact that they were Americans against Americans. Then as I got a little older, I started to do a little genealogy and found about some of my own family history. And, you know, one of the relatives I had was, you know, he was, this is a guy who, um, his name was Elihu French, and he signed on with the 7th New Hampshire in infantry. And it was six-month papers. He um, was actually sent down to Beaufort, South Carolina, which I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a little while. That, that's that town. And um, he mustered out, and he tried to sign back in again, and they wouldn't let him. Which goes to show it was early in the war. So he moved down to Brookline, Massachusetts, and he um, signed on again to the second mass heavy artillery. Ended up at the Battle of Plymouth in 1864 and got his butt captured and got sent to the stockade in, in um, Florence that we were talking about, uh, the Florence stockade, where he was uh, summarily starved to death and buried in a mass grave. And so it's you, you, you start to pick up little things and you learn little things. And then, like most of these Civil War things, it gets in your blood and it gets you. It has you. And then it becomes more of the, the thirst for knowledge. And then you learn about, you know, everything Lincoln did and, you know, the, the person he was and how he rose and everything, obviously, that he did um, to, to obviously save the country. And, and then it's like one of those Russian nesting dolls. You just keep opening up and you learn more and more and more. And that's, um, and that's what I've been doing. And so I don't think a day has gone by where I haven't read anything about the Civil War. The last non-Civil War book I read was the last Harry Potter book. So that tells you how long that's been. Um, I'm real popular here with my friends talking about the Civil War all the time. I'll tell you that. By far the youngest you know, person on my Civil War roundtable. That's, that's for sure. The, the Battle of Hogwarts was, was arguably a Civil War, you know, was, you know, within the Wizarding World anyway. Well, there is this Harry Potter connection to the Civil War. Mary, you've, we've talked about this. Yep. Yeah. You want to tell the story? You tell the story. It's really cool. You guys know who Edmund Ruffin is? I feel like I do. Edmund Ruffin was a guy in Charleston, South Carolina, who had the real long blonde hair. Kind of looked like the lead singer of White Lion, if you, if you follow your 80s band like I am. <laughs> and basically, he, um, he was one of the guys, he was um, part of a group called the Fire Eaters. He was very pro-secession, very pro-slavery. And he, um, he was the one who actually lit the first cannon at Fort Sumter. Beauregard let him fire the cannon because he was the local nut and they let him do it. And so there was a character in the Harry Potter books um, modeled after him. And um, God, I'm blank on his name right now. Is well, it uh, Lucius, Malfoy? Yeah, Lucius, Malf Lucius yeah. Malfoy? Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. So Lucius Malfoy, um, he was a group of, he was in a group called the Death, the Death Eaters. And there was too many. There was too many parallels. So one day I was sitting on the Twitter, and so I tweeted out at J.K. Rowling, just on the off chance. And I said, "Hey, by any chance is your Malfoy character similar to the one of Edmund Ruff?" And I went into the little story, and she actually retweeted back to me, and she says, "Oh my God, you're the first person ever to pick up that correlation." But yes, that's where it came from. Wow. So that's pretty cool. So that so yeah. Harry Potter and the Civil War are attached to the hip. This is a and I believe is am I incorrect? But because he's Ed, Edwin Edmund Ruffin is featured fairly prominently in Ken Burns' Civil War. Um, didn't didn't he um, complete a suicide a, after the war? He did. He uh, okay. took his ball and went home as soon as the, as soon as they they turned in there, like they retire, they re surrendered. He um he shot himself and died because he uh, he didn't want to wouldn't no one live under Yankee rule anymore. Wow. But it's pretty cool when you look at the, these authors, how they tie it all together, though. And they actually mm -hmm. do their homework. And um, 
but these are things I think about. You know, when you start this <laughs> no, that's and, <laughs> it's, it's it's sad, but it is. Um, but you notice, you know, you're studying history at a high level. You notice comparisons in pop culture all the time, and, and well, so that one was natural. And if you look at it now, now that you know it, you see it, and that's what's cool about it. Yeah. Well, that's that's very well aligned with kind of how our podcast is. Yes. Like, of course, we're interested in like, oh, there, you know, there might be some documents from the Ruffin family or whatever, and and like the whole primary source and analyzing it. But like, it's also kind of fun to be like. Who in the Harry Potter universe is similar to the Civil War? You know, we could probably we probably I, you know, we'll I, do an episode I think on that. we've just got so so Darren. One of our earlier episodes was we um we did an episode on who like Star Wars and the Civil War. So we each had to pick some Star Wars characters and place them with people from the Civil War. Mm-hmm. That, was that when Last Jedi came out? It's or, been it's been a few I years. It, I think it was when Last Jedi came out. But yeah, Harry Potter on Rail Splitter is a first tonight. So congratulations, Darren. Well, I'm happy to help. Yeah, happy to blaze. Happy to blaze a trail. Man. I'm gonna try and think on an episode for that connection now. And, and I just want to say that I love the Hobbits. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say Nicholas Haggard over there doesn't isn't really a isn't a Potterhead. Have you not read Potter? Oh, I've definitely not read Potter. <laughs> Nicholas. The first couple are horrendous. Uh, I like the one with uh, Sirius Black. That one's pretty awesome. Mm. That's the best movie. That, that's the best yeah. movie. Yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban is, like, hands down my favorite. I really like that movie. The last two, of course, are good. Yeah. Um, but I enjoy the movies, but no, I have no desire to read the book. I was, was going to say, they're, they're books. They're books. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right, all right, Mary. Better. So you got to segue this somehow. Back to I, know. I was just going to say we got <laughs> that's our first time getting off the rails go. there. Just going to mag- magically bring it back to the Civil War. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah, I was going to just say Wingardium Leviosa, but that's not going to work. <laughs> Alohomora, the stuff we're supposed Alohomora, to talk. whatever. <laughs> Axio, the point of this show. Yeah. Okay. Back to what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, did you have anything to add, Darren, about your interest in Civil War? No, I mean it's just it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing for me. Yeah, every single day it's something new. So, you know, mostly mostly into the Eastern theater stuff, but I've got into the Western theater more recently, mm-hmm. and um, and that's just as fascinating. But that's um, that's certainly something that um, that I live for, and it's something that I really enjoy. Yeah. And obviously, do a lot of stuff with the, the Booth assassination too. That that's kind of my yeah. my niche with that. So, it, it, once you start in one aspect, it takes you to, to another aspect, and it goes and goes and goes, mm-hmm. and, and you find what you're. You always wanted to learn more, which is really cool. Yeah, no, that, that's what I find with it, too. Like, I've been doing this since I was six, and um, I think, well, all of us on the show would agree that there's just, there's always something more to learn about it. And the one thing that I get asked all the time, especially by my father, will always be like, how can there be more about the Civil War? And it's like, well, there's always something, like some new research or something like that. So there's constantly something to learn about it. So, so yeah, I, mean, I definitely appreciate what you're saying about it and always learning something. Um, so anyway, so the topic of our show tonight is the 54th Massachusetts and the movie Glory. So we are going to talk a bit about the 54th Massachusetts just to kind of set up our discussion about the movie Glory. So, Darren, what can you tell us about the 54th? Well, no, the um, 54th, I mean, it's, you know, you grew up around here, you hear all about them. And there's the, the monument right down this, right downtown. It's along called, what's called the, the Black Freedom Trail in Boston. And, um, it's really fascinating because it, it, and you study it and I'm glad the movie came out because it came out it was like 88, 89. Yeah. So I was still young when it came out. So it kind of came at the right time. 
but it's just a fascinating it's a fascinating story. I mean, this is this is a, a basically was a a group of guys who were recruited by the governor John Andrew from Massachusetts, who it was basically his pet project to, to establish a color regiment. So he begged Edmund Stanton forever to do it. As soon as the Emancipation Proclamation came out, he was knocking on his door. We need to do it. We need to do it. Finally, January of 63, Stanton probably just got sick of hearing about it. He says, you know what? We'll do it. But I want you to set it up. So you, you're, gonna, you're the governor of Mass. You go ahead and you, you raise them. So he basically got together with a lot of the local Boston abolitionists at the time. Um, and basically, you know, uh, William Lord Garrison, um, Dr. Martin Delaney, obviously Frederick, Doug- Frederick Douglass. So they were the ones in charge of basically putting this together. And what they were really doing was kind of sort of putting together an African-American all-star team. And it's really where the movie kind of gets it wrong. Because what was interesting about, about the 54th was you had to be able to read. You had to be able to write. You had to be, um, you had to be an upstanding citizen. You could not be an escaped slave. So these are, they wanted a specific type of soldier for this. There was a doctor who was a private in the 54th Mass. And they basically put them all together. Um, you know, basically the, um, the Shaw family, Robert Gould Shaw, his, you know, their, their parents were really big into helping to put together. So fathers, like they tend to do with their kids, he offered it to the kid. Um, first Shaw said, no, I don't want to do it. And the father actually had to go down to Washington to convince him to do it. Uh, and he ultimately finally did. Um, he basically had his buddy, um, Norman Hollowell be the, be the lieutenant colonel. Um, and, and then basically they, they started to recruit. The recruiting effort was huge. And contrary to what people, a lot of people think is very few of these guys are from Massachusetts, believe it or not. Very, there was probably less than 10% who were, they were mostly New York, Indiana, Ohio, dare I say Canada. <laughs> um, and there was also 25%, a quarter of the 54th mass, you know, were from Caribbean places like that. So they were not from, they were not from Massachusetts. Most of them weren't. Um, so Douglas and Delaney and, and Garrison, they basically wanted to recruit. They were saying, come to Boston. We're going to have this, we had this big rally at a place called um, Joy Street Church, which is right downtown, where they all got together. And they finally raised about 1,100 people to be in the 54th Massachusetts. Uh, and it was a big deal in the city. They, were, were, they basically trained. They, transited, they trained at a place called Camp Meg's. Um, it was in a town called Redville, Mass, which is just outside of the city, and it's not the best place, but it's you can still visit it if you literally nothing else to do. <laughs> and basically, what was interesting was the, the this is where the movie goes off a little bit. All their gear, their clothes, their shoes was financed by the abolitionists, so they weren't running for shoes. They weren't escaping in the middle of the night to go get shoes. They they had the they had the goods. They had the good stuff. Um, they were financed by this, they were financed by these abolitionists. The the two things that you've kind of mentioned as like where the movie gets it wrong, it's almost like those are like the two central themes of at least the first mm-hmm. half of the yeah. movie where you know the, the Thomas characters conflicts with the you know formerly enslaved, you know, in the in the movie the characters are all formerly many of them are formerly enslaved and like the um differences of culture and you know everything else that's kind of like a central theme of that whole first act of the Mm -hmm. of the movie uh but i really like that that in actuality 
because like the idea of it, formerly enslaved people fighting for emancipation is an awesome idea. And of course that did also happen, but the, the idea of people who had their quote unquote freedom or, you know, were not enslaved fighting for emancipation, I think is, is to me, maybe even a better story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a movie, the movie, like most movies take liberties and yeah. it definitely, it definitely sounds, it sounds really, really good. Um, Frederick's Douglass's two sons himself were part of it. Uh, and that that's not anything new. That that's um, that's just one thing that might be a surprise if you watch the movie um, is the sergeant major character, which we you know me and Mary have talked about recently. Yeah. In the movie, he's a grumpy Irish guy kicking butt, where in reality, the sergeant major was Frederick Douglass's son, Louis. Wow. You know, so it was, <laughs> so it's a little bit different than that. So it's, but it, again, it's, I, I don't like to rip on movies because I'll watch anything. Anybody who's willing to put a historical movie out, I'll watch that all day. But I think what people need to realize is they, I think because of the movie, I think they see a certain way that this thing was when, in my opinion, these guys were never supposed to fight. They were put together. They were handpicked from, from the right families, all to put together to basically put on a show and and they ended up in they ended up in some brawls and it, it, unfortunately the casualties never show, but the Shaw's credit he did he did do a good job putting them all together he you know he got them down to um he got them down a um down a camp and whipped them up and they finally left Boston in May of two thousand I mean two thousand eighteen sixty three yeah they just they just left now <laughs> the Corona the Corona this is a down. fascinating story <laughs> yeah. yeah so the movie was totally wrong as you can see you know, they got stuck in that Boston traffic. But I, so they, they ended up they ended up leaving and there's a if you if you're ever in Boston, there's a place right downtown where there's a big mural. And when they left in May of eighteen sixty three to go down to Buford, South Carolina, all, every superstar in Boston was was there to I mean, Frederick Douglass, uh, Lord Garrison, all all the big shots are there because it was a big, big deal, you know, to watch these guys go off to, to, to you know, to fight. Um they promoted them as the first colored regiment, but they weren't because the first Kansas was. But but again, that's that's they per, they put it anyway. When they did get down to South Carolina, they were also, and that's where the movie does get it right, is they were heroes for the black community when they saw them. And there's that one scene where the little kids are running up to them, and and, and that's and that that did happen. And they were really amazed to see to see that because they never saw the, you know, someone who looked like them in the blue uniform. And so it um it definitely it definitely motivated them up a little bit. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think the, re- the part of the reason that that I, I think the, the movie's kind of goal was to like tell the story of all of the black Civil War soldiers, like in a in, by in using the fifty fourth to like you know it was kind of kind of like mm-hmm. using that poetic license to use the fifty fourth as as the central as a way to tell the story of the you know the black soldiers, and I think that's why they brought in the. Um, you know, the guy from Kentucky who was awful and, you know, whatever else, like, um, because it's, it's really difficult to tell you got so many different companies and, you know, and regiments and different theaters and battles and whatever else. Like, um, so that's my maybe theory, I guess, is why they got, you know, got it wrong or took liberties. I think they were trying to kind of just use them as kind of this, you know, more of an allegory of every, all of the black soldiers, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think they kind of did that a little bit. Uh, but the 54th itself now, I think, is like known as they kind of reached this mythical status, which, of course, they've earned. Yeah. But maybe potentially or, or certainly overshadowing many, many other regiments um, who, who who deserve as much 
you know, credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie could have take could have done a litter of the same as history, and it still would have been a great story. Yes. there's no question about yes. that. And I'm not trying to minimize and say that or any by no. any stretch of imagination. It's just that I think, um, you know, I, I think the reality is 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 it, it was a different it was a different time. They wanted to show that these people that they were that fighting with, you know, in this colored regiment were just as smart, legible as everything as the white soldier, and that's that to show them as equals in the battlefield. That that's really what they were trying to do, um, based on who was picking the soldiers and who was leading them. It's it doesn't seem to me that they were ever intended to go in a battle. It was just more of a of a of a you know a show thing. But but they did. You know they ended up down in you know down in South Carolina and um, they signed up with the second. Ironically, it was a Union group called the Second of South Carolina. That's what James Montgomery was in when they were in Darien mm-hmm. and they were raiding and they were foraging. Um, and they, every, and everything they did was true. They, 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 you know, Shaw still complained just like he did in the movie. Uh, but they were going, they were burning houses, they were stealing silver, they were attacking, attacking people down there, and, um, and they, they, they were part of it too. They were, but that, that, that's certainly what, what history is, is is showing with that too. And you know, and then you know, finally they, they ended up you know going off to battle. They went off to, to the um, to, to Battle of Grimble's Landing, mm-hmm. and that was just a, a couple weeks before you know Fort Wagner. Um, and it, you know, I think they had about forty or fifty casualties, and but they definitely, um, they definitely earned their stripes because it was their first time, you know, seeing the elephant, as they say, right? And um, yeah, and then the next thing you know, they're off to off to Battery Wagner, and the rest is history with that. And you know, forty five percent casualties. They were the first troop, first group in, and um, by then they were down to six hundred guys before that battle. They lost almost half. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, Gould Shaw, you know, he was killed, obviously, everybody knows that, but, mm-hmm. um, Edward Hallowell, Edward Hallowell became the, uh, he became the, the regimental commander and he went off to the Battle of Alesti and all that stuff. But basically the, um, you know, basically it's, 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 it tells the whole story and, you know, um, you know, the story about, uh, you know, Sergeant William Carney picked up the flag and ran and they gave that to the Denzel Washington character, but that wasn't really who it was. They yeah. gave him a different name. I think it was like Tripper. I forget it, the name was Trip. They gave Trip. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was, it, was, it, was yeah. a, it was a it was a short little thing like that. But but he you know he he went and did that whole thing, and that's in it uh it you know it tells quite a story. And you know they they all got, most of them got killed and buried in the sands, and and you know Shaw was buried with them, and that story about how they. Um, you know that that Johnson Hoggood, the, brig- the brigadier general for the Confederacy, he he buried him with the rest of the soldiers as an insult, and it turned into a kind of a badge of honor. And um, I don't know if I, you know, if that story that came out a couple of years ago was, you know, eventually. I mean, it, it, the legend says that the bodies there and it washed out to sea, but they did get the bodies. They did dig mm-hmm. them all up. Uh, they stripped them naked when they buried them, so they couldn't tell who was who anymore. Um, and then uh, they all get buried in Buford Cemetery. So presumptively, you know, Gould Shaw is somewhere there mm-hmm. with the rest of them. He's got a gravestone in Boston, and he's got a gravestone in South Carolina. But um, a story I tweeted a couple of days ago was about three or four years ago, um, there was a woman, um, you know, her name was uh, Susanna, Susanna Shaw Mintern, and she lived in Boston. And she was a relative of, of Robert Gould Shaw, and she was living in the city, and she moved, and she actually found his sword. This is back in 2017. Wow. Um, and they 
verified was his. It had his initials on it. It was actually his sword that made it back, and it's in the Massachusetts uh, Historical Society now. And that was a big story up here. When that, and that's when everyone was real. Like oh, everyone was a Civil War expert that week. When that story, came out. <laughs> like, you know, because I was, oh my god, yeah, you know, he fought at fifty four. Like really, I didn't know that. You know, but but there was there was a lot of that. But 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 you know, Robert Coolidge is a good story too. And mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of a lot of history with that. He was Boston blue blood all the way. Uh, although he went to school in New York City at Fordham, which I don't really forgive him for that. You know, <laughs> but that's another story. Um, he probably got what he deserved not as I think about it. But, uh, but, but you know, he, he had his story where, you know, he signed on with the New York Regiment, the 7th New York, and went down Antietam, that whole story. He also fought at first Winchester. People mm-hmm. don't realize that. Um, he fought at Cedar Mountain, yeah, which is pretty cool. He, um, his sister, Josephine, would go on to marry Charles Russell Lowell. If you guys know who he is. He was a um, brigadier general. He, uh, and he he died at the Battle of Cedar Mountain, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And so there's so there's a lot. These guys were it was all you know. It was pretty cool. The the story about the um, I'm just rambling about this whole thing now. No, the you're doing about, fine. It's awesome. But the story the story about um, the, the the income the thirteen versus ten dollar thing from the movie. Do you yeah. remember that scene? Yeah. And it was actually Shaw was the one who refused to pay the soldiers for that. It, they didn't rebel. He's the one who said. You're not taking money until we get equal money. That was Shaw. Wow. The movie had it backwards. The movie, well, if you're not going to take pay, none of us will take pay. <laughs> that sounds cool, but that's not really what happened. Yeah. He basically said, we can't pay these guys. This will be a riot, so none of us are getting paid. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty cool story. I mean, he still, that's how he was, though. He really took ownership of the whole group. And, you know, he, um, he looked at them like they were his family. And he, he had real responsibility with them. Yeah, and so he was not surprised he was shot in that parapet because he was right there with him. He wasn't gonna he was gonna leave from the front. Yeah, and he, was, he wasn't gonna be one of these other guys. And he, you know, and he he's finally thank God for that movie. It's it's he's kind of getting the due that he that he got because he probably would have been forgotten to history by by a lot of people at this point. Yeah, he's definitely he definitely probably would have been one of the underdogs. And I'm glad his name is known for that. Um, the thing I find really interesting about the whole story with the you know, him being buried with those soldiers and it was done as an insult is his father comes back and is completely happy about it. You know, like saying he's, he's got such a guard now. Um, just that whole quote from his father is, uh, it's very, very moving and powerful just to show like, yeah, we're happy that he's there and you did not insult us by doing that. Yeah. And so, you know, I was, I was going to tell a story about the woman I work with. Mm-hmm. I told you the story. Yeah. Um, so this woman I work with, she um and I told her I was going to tell the story today in this podcast. Don't you dare! <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, so um, so her her name was Emily Lull, and she's so that was her maiden name. So she comes, she says, "Hey, um, my father wanted me to tell you that my, my his grandfather's grandfather was a civil, like a famous Civil War guy." I go, "Really? Who?" And she goes, and "She looked on her phone, Charles Russell Lowell." I was like, "You're kidding me! You're ready to Charles Russell Lowell." And she goes, yeah. And I go, do you, and of course I go on a spiel at that point. Do you realize that, you know, he was, he was married to Josephine Shaw, who was this, you know, the whole thing. And I go, so you're married, you're related by marriage to Robert Gould Shaw. You know what she says to me? The guy from Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And was the guy from Jaws, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cool story. I mean, it's, it's, it's really neat. Um, 
the movie for the most part did have most of it right had had all the whole things in it but and again, I don't like to rip on the movies, but it was it, it did tell a really, really good story. Overall. Yeah, it's it's, it's something that you can't watch it and, and just not have a pit in your stomach watching that. Oh, it's just, you know, it's so it's such a powerful movie um, overall. Um, before we go into it, though, Nick, did you have any um, anything to say about Fifty Fourth at all? Any comments? No, I think Darren did a great job. Yes. Um, with everything. Yeah. I guess here, here's one question for you, kind of tying in the movie. What's one thing that you wish that they made? How, what would you change in the movie if you could change one thing? Um, well, a couple, uh, a couple things. I think the one, they were mustered from May 5th or May 1863 in, and then till July was really when the whole thing went down. So there really was no Merry Christmas Robert scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, calendar-wise, it, it just didn't happen. <laughs> so that, that that's one. But I think little things. I mean, there, there really wasn't much. I think I would have liked to see the scene with the pay with Shaw kind of take ownership of that because really, he really earned a lot of credit for that historically. And it, it, I think the movie kind of put it on – they put it on the others, and he kind of capitulated to that where he really drove that. And I thought that that's an important story. Um, of course, there were, there were little things about that, you know, when they're reading off the – the serial numbers of the Enfields that scene. The Enfields didn't have serial numbers. It's the silly, stupid stuff that you got to be a real nerd to notice. But, um, but for the most part, I, I think I think I would like to see more of of seeing how like the the, the real people who fought. You know, the, the Thomas character was more epitomizing of a soldier who was in the fifty fourth Mass. It, to be honest, it, it really was. And to see the development of them, and then go into fighting like that, and still charge that parapet and that one little slip of land. And tell that story that they weren't these guys coming off the coming off the fields and just running, but that they they were educated and they they could read. And like I said, there was a doctor who was who was a, who was a private. Mm-hmm. I think that I think it kind of I don't want to say it diminishes them a little bit, but I think that would have been a cool story if they did it that way. But again, you're really splitting hairs with that mm-hmm. because it's it's really was very well done overall, uh, and it did it did tell the story for the most part, um, and it really put shone a light on them, which they probably never would have. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. That was and good question, Nick. That was that was really good to hear all that. Um, yeah, good question, Nick. No more questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a good one, though. So you got to leave on a high note. Nick's one question for the episode is done. <laughs> so I guess we'll um, get talking about the movie now. So um, the movie came out in 1989. I think I'm just pulling that number out of my head because yeah, i think i was accurate. Yep. I, about right. honestly i'm pretty sure i saw it in the theater and i was seven years old i i distinctly remember watching it in uh like a hotel room back in those days you could like you know pay-per-view like movies through whatever the box thing was yeah. yeah um and and i distinctly remember my brother sister and my parents you know you know we we're on some sort of family vacation um watching that um like that's I, that's like a very clear image in my head that's mm-hmm. that's the first time i saw it nick did you see it in the theater i did not see it in the theater mm. i don't know where i saw it i know i saw it, it must have been probably shortly after it came out on you know the good old vhs, the VHS. <laughs> um so i remember seeing it you know being younger the first time. I don't remember, though. I'm pretty sure I did not see it in the theater, although I would like to. Yeah. yeah. There, I do remember the first time I saw it, because I, prob- I was 10 when it came out, and we 
that was like that was like my Civil War year as far as like what made me into a Civil War person mm-hmm. uh, because we had to, we, that year we did take a vacation out east and you know went to Gettysburg and Appomattox, Antietam, and you know um, uh, Chancellorsville and all you know Civil War battlefield vacation, which was huge. You know for me it was a big deal. Um, so eighty nine was kind of like a big year um, as far as that goes. But I, but the, 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 the of all of the scenes that stuck with me, and it was probably because I was ten years old. Is like it's not a violent. I mean, even though it's a Civil War movie, it's not a violent movie, and there's not a whole lot of depictions of like the the you know the real violence of the, but like yeah, a guy gets his head blown off in like the first forty five seconds oh. of the movie, and it's like wh- you know I remember being a ten year old kid being like that guy just a cannonball just hit that guy in the face and like it kind of messed with me for a while but the rest of the movie has like almost no vi- like real like mm-hmm. gore or violence you know even even when like they die at fort wagner it's like you know the, the they don't it's not a it's not like a historically accurate you know the way that the you know muskets or bullets or whatever would have like ripped a body apart but like that was an interesting uh, narrative choice to be like, we're going to have one piece of super violence and it's going to be this dude getting his head blown off. Darren, did you see it in the theater? Oh, of course I did. I probably yeah. saw the first date came out probably. <laughs> I, was, I was well entrenched in the nerd, you know. Yeah. Tough to find a girl to go to the movie with that. So for that to see that one, I'll tell you that. But <laughs> if, I'm sure I went alone. But uh, no, I, I remember seeing that. I, 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 you know what I remember? I remember the soundtrack. I remember mm-hmm. watching the movie. Oh, yeah. And Gettysburg hadn't come out, hadn't come out yet. That came out a few years later. So, and I was like, wow, because it just was like, it was, it, 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 you know, coming off of like the Star Wars soundtracks and all these powerful soundtracks. I'm like, wow, it just, it just, it was one of the ones that really went really good with the movie. And like the ending credits after the ending scene, it was like, I don't think anybody left the theater if the music stopped. I think everyone stayed at the very end because it really brought the whole thing together and with, with the credits. And that's what I remember mostly was, was, was the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I still listen to the sound. I go walking, I listen to the Glory soundtrack yep. and the the Gettysburg well, soundtrack. I, I agree with you, Darren. Like, like when I was rewatching it and I had kind of mentioned before it went on, it, had, it, it, it had been, I watched it on where two days ago I watched it. Um, and it, it's probably been a good 10 years at least since I've watched it. And as soon as you hear that soundtrack, like I immediately got brought back, like, yep, this is like, I could, I could hear that soundtrack anywhere. Be like, that's glory. You know, and it puts you in a place, and it's and it's great. It is really good. Yeah. Well, you, you hear that 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 the soundtrack, and you remember exactly the movie, and that that's mm-hmm. what tells a story about the, the that that's what a good soundtrack is. Mm-hmm. You know, when you sit there and go, I know that's that's glory, and it just brings you back to the Fort Wagner scene and the all. You know, we wish to take you know lead the assaults up. You know, that's <laughs> yep. the. Uh, yes. <laughs> that, it, yeah. It's it it, it it really does it. But I but I remember seeing that. You know, I think. Um, I remember thinking, okay, this—that's. I'm pretty sure that's Ferris Bueller. So I'm not sure how this is going to go, <laughs> you know. But um, but he was really good though, because because Ferris Bueller had come out the year before, and so he, Matthew Broderick was was famous. And I was like, all right, now he's going to do this, and we'll see how that goes. But he did a good job. He really, really did. He, he um, but but you, you look at the, the characters. Denzel Washington was in that. Morgan Freeman was in that. You yeah. you couldn't get those guys to do that movie now. It's just no. It was it was all stars, all of them. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, uh, shout out to the composer who I just looked up was uh, James Horner. Yeah, he is. Who also he's scored Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, yep. Braveheart, and Titanic. 
Yeah. Uh, so that's quite a solid resume there. Braveheart is Braveheart's one of my. I'm I'm a huge soundtrack uh, person. Uh, it's pretty so much he, all so I he did to. he did Titanic, Braveheart, Field of Glory. What was the other one? Field of Dreams. Oh, this guy writes all, all the sound songs. Then yeah, he did Beautiful Mind, Avatar. The, uh, what yeah. else? Oh. Ball. Yeah, this guy was. Uh, he has passed away though. Yeah, he passed away at sixty-one. Way too young. Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely one of my favorites. And you can actually hear if you if you listen to Glory soundtrack and then you listen to Braveheart, you can hear a lot of this. Like it's very similar music between the two movies. Um, but but Glory, it's all I've been. It and Gettysburg and Lincoln are in constant rotation for me for my soundtracks. And I sometimes will put them all on and put them on shuffle. When you watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, does it remind you of Glory? Because if it does, it's the same composer. <laughs> we'll talk I, about have watched, I have watched it recently. I don't think I ever saw that. What are the Disney ride, though? <laughs> yeah, I did the Disney ride thing, too. I, I, I've i seen that movie, like, way too many times. I had no idea James We're, Horner composed that's it. Actually, next week, we will all be back to go with the Civil War action. <laughs> To honey, uh, I shrunk uh, the kids. Honey, All four yeah. of us are going to talk about that next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring Randy Edelman next week to talk about the uh, the Gettysburg soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that would be All awesome. Those guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the one thing that I want to get out of the way for this movie first is Shaw's accent. My, my belief on the Matthew Broderick, he's a good I actor. I love Matthew Broderick. I re- yeah, I like him too, but like. He looks just like Robert Gouldshaw. Yeah. Like, yeah. he was going to get cast in that movie no matter what because, yeah. like, you know, it's not like, you know, random random aristocratic white dude from Boston. Like, he looks just like him. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm sure, like, it was a stretch to be like, the guy was Justin Ferris Bueller. I'll let, you know, <laughs> how are we, we going to now put him in this, you know, it's like, then you see a picture of Robert Gouldshaw and you're like, well, I guess the historically accurate thing we're really going to get is how he looked. Yeah, he he is really good in the movie. And I mean, I'm just joking around about the accent, but the accent is like, it's funny at times. Well, my thoughts on the accent are it's like it's bad enough until you... I'm not a huge fan of Carrie always in this movie. Like, I just... He just always seems like, 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 just extra. Like, he, I don't know, like, he's not, <laughs> like he doesn't really... He's just kind of there. And like, their, their conversations are like, oh, all right. Um, and like the IMDb, like, you know, trivia or whatever for glory, um, says that most of his scenes were cut. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Cause his character does, doesn't do a whole lot other than like the whole, like Thomas being their friend, like that whole conflict kind of thing. And like yeah. establishing the hierarchy of command, <laughs> but like, I just struggled to find him really believable as this, you know, civil war officer. Yeah. I I don't know. I had messaged Darren this the day after I watched the movie, and I said, "I'm like, is Carrie Elwes always a douche in everything he does?" <laughs> I think that's exactly what he is. Even yeah. the Princess Bride, like I like him; oh, he's a good God. guy, but he's still kind of like, eh. He well, he looks douchey. That's the thing. Yeah. Like it's like he gets on the screen. It's like this guy's gonna be a douche on here. <laughs> and sometimes he gets cast that way, and it's like, yep. Like in Liar Liar, he was cast perfectly. Yeah. Man, yeah. The obscure rail splitter so references never stop. So is Matthew Broderick's goal from going to Ferris Bueller to Robert Gould Shaw, is that tougher to believe than from than from um 
Then from Jeff Daniels going from Longstreet to Harry Dunn and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> no, not Longstreet. Long year too. Not Longstreet. Yeah, Chamberlain. Yeah, Longstreet. Chamberlain. <laughs> yeah. well, no, wait. Here's another reference. Like Tom Berenger in Major League, and then he's Longstreet. Of course, we got the Cleveland fan in the house. I think that that there were. I, Bridges as Chamberlain was great. I think the Dumb and Dumber piece was more of a stretch. Like, really, he's not a comedic actor because he had done you know Purple Rose of Cairo and whatever else. Um, but yeah, the uh, yeah, I think yeah, they're they're all stretch. You know, like when you when you're trying to cast people who maybe resemble uh, characters, nothing nothing is worse than in the conspirator of uh, Kevin Klein as Stanton. That's the worst casting of all time, in my opinion, <laughs> as far as Civil War goes. Um, I do want to mention, since we're kind of talking about actors, I was really interested in the actor who played, I can't remember the character's name off the top of my head, but kind of like the the, the South Carolina enslaved person. Uh, he, he always had that light, he had that like light brown hat and was kind of like the, the real uneducated, you know, um, who he was the, the character who had like, was a really good shot and then Gould Shaw was like firing the gun. Oh um, yes, faster, faster. Yeah, um, I'm like that guy. That actor is really good. Like he plays that character so well. Mm-hmm. His accent, like he, he, I don't know if it was the director, or the actor that decided to put in the stutter a little bit. Like that, you know, I really enjoyed that character because you love him, and you know, and he and he's a formerly enslaved character. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, what's you know, I've never seen him in anything else, and he did do a couple other things. But the one thing I really love about the guy. He left acting and went and became a teacher and was like a really well liked and um, highly regarded teacher, I think in South Carolina or North Carolina. Cool. Um, and then he worked until he was like 50 something and retired and then went back into acting. So, you know, shout out to all the educators, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think the whole well, movie is cast really well. Uh-huh. Sorry, Darren, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say that, you know, a lot of them, you know, for a lot of the A-list people that were in there, a lot of the people, that was the only time you ever saw them. Mm-hmm. I think one of them, the, the, um, the guy who played Thomas, I think he was in some crime drama recently. I've seen him. Um, he was in a I crime drama and a crime comedy. He's he was in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's what, it's, that's what, I, that's yeah. what it was. And he plays, was. His, yeah, he's like, his, yeah. his character in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is amazingly is hilarious. Like, he's and like I a very stoic person, but funny. <laughs> And I didn't place him. I'm like, that dude looks familiar. And I just had, I said, who? And then I find, like, oh my God, it's Thomas. You know, that's actually a pretty good jump over, actually, speaking of those other ones. Yeah. To go on to do that because, um, but there's a lot of that. But that was a, obviously, the, the, Mary's point, that's a very well cast movie mm-hmm. um, across the board. And Broderick did do a good job, I thought. No, I, thought I it was fun love to, Broderick. to watch him do that. I wonder to, you know, to Jeremy's point, if he didn't look like that, if he would have got the part. Yeah. If they would have found somebody else, I wonder who. Uh, I'm sure you can go online somewhere and find out who else they were considering. But um, he, he did it well. Yeah, the accent though. And living up here, I hate the accents in the movies too. <laughs> and, and that that that's you got you got me going on that now because no, no one here talks like the Kennedys, like you see in the TV shows. It does. No one does. They just don't. I don't think I have much of an accent, but that's how most of my friends here talk. Um, but uh, but they really put it on, and they um, and you you see it in the movies. But you know, it, it, it's it's there's been worse movies. Yeah, The Departed, Martin Sheen, The Departed, his accent. Oh my god. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I, and I don't think like like Broderick's accent did not at all take away from the the movies. It it makes me 
giggle when I first hear it, but then I'm like, he he's so good as Shaw. Like he really, um, from what I've read about Shaw, um, and just like research I've done about him, he he captures who Shaw was. I think perfectly. Sergeant Major, deal with that man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, what, what I like about it too is that it 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 does a really just and maybe it's the kind of the plot and the characterization does a really good job of showing like you have the aristocracy or whatever you know like the the, the people privileged people you know became officers or their children became officers, but like the fact that combat was looked at as as a such an honorable thing. And like you compare the, you know, and Darren, you talked about how like they weren't intended to go into battle, but they really wanted to and ended up doing that and had a high casualty rate, which was such a noble thing. But the fact that they had to like fight to be able to, to fight literally. And then you compare that to like Vietnam where like, you know, where black soldiers were very disproportionately involved and killed and wounded and, Mm -hmm. You know, like how how warfare has shifted in the in the feeling of that, you know, of the Civil War, particularly of, you know, what how noble it was to fight and how much of a privilege it was to fight in many cases. And so, like, you have people with privilege becoming officers and you have, you know, this the idea of fighting for your country as being something that you had to earn or something or something that, you know, enslaved people or black people were should not have been allowed to do in some people's minds. Um I think that the, the 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 movie showed that very well um, that that they were so proud to be able to fight, whereas like now in warfare it's like you know like I would you know we want to avoid it at all costs for good reason. Well, the other that hung over them too was you know December of sixty two Jefferson Davis comes out with that proclamation saying if you're a black soldier you're caught you're dead and if you're mm-hmm. a white officer you're dead too so they had that hanging over them too so they wanted to go into battle knowing they couldn't get captured because if they did, that was going to be it. And, um, and they still did it and they, they all wanted to do it. That's, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I could have done that. No. I don't think I would have done that. The historical inaccuracy, Darren, that you pointed out, I think is key there because the way the movie shows is they're, they're all formerly enslaved people where they, like I was thinking like, well, they're, they're going to get killed if they get caught or, or, or enslaved again, regardless. But like, if it were, were you know freedmen to use the term of the time who were literate and you know whatever else like they had much more to lose not to say that like their lives weren't valuable of course they were but like you know fugitive slaves were like well i'm probably going to die or be enslaved again anyway Mm -hmm. but if it was from canada or was a free person in the north with you know skills that led to their employment that was an incredible risk, uh, literally risking their lives, knowing that they wouldn't be captured. So I think they, they did do a good shot, job. And, of course, the script and the soundtrack did a good job of playing up this, like, huge moment of we know that we're not going to be POWs, we're going to be killed, but we're still okay and we're still going to do this. Um, but I think it carries even more weight knowing that, like, they were not fugitive slaves, to use that term, you know, formerly enslaved people. They were... They were who had freedom, who could have left and yep. had a life of some sort uh, that wasn't that didn't involve enslavement. Yeah, and these guys, like I said before, they came from other states. They didn't come from you know the, the fields of Alabama or Mississippi. They weren't fugitive slaves. To your point, Canadians, Ohioans, mm-hmm. you know, places like that. So yeah, to your point, it's a good point. They had everything to lose. These are these are people who were educated. They weren't. You know, they they had they had they had lies ahead of them, 
and they still chose to do it. Mm. You know? Yeah. And I mean, for me, I think the most powerful scene in the movie is when they're getting ready to go to Wagner. Like that, mm-hmm. like that night before. Yeah, I, I agree. And another kind of along with that, Mary, that I really, as, as far as like the movie being kind of an allegory for the whole war, like you, you have this like really powerful climactic decision to lead the charge, the huge losses that they face, and everybody in the on the viewing audience today is like, I've never heard of Fort Wagner. It was it could not have been a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. But you know, like it really hits hard. Like the number of lives in the Civil War that were lost in warfare in general, but certainly the Civil War, they were lost for like. It turned out not to be that big of a deal as far as like militarily goes. It wasn't like this, you know, they didn't capture Fort Wagner and they were still okay. And, you know, <laughs> things were still going okay for the North. And, and, and in 1863, they were on a path where it was going a little bit better. So like, there's so many times where people lost their lives and these are, you know, often overlooked where it's like, Oh, there's only a few hundred casualties here, a few hundred, you know, mm-hmm. minor battle. Like, okay. But now, now we see an actual regiment who had high casualties in a failed assault of a fort. And it's, it's a huge gut punch just as a, just as a, a viewer of a movie, yeah. you know, 200 years later. Yeah. Well, well to see them, like just when they, Darren, as you said, when they see the elephant, that scene, if yeah. I don't use the correct term, like that yeah. is powerful too. And, you know, Grimble's landing that and they were, you know, they they lost they lost some guys, about forty or fifty guys they lost, but they but they were they were proud, they were happy, they got to fight. Yeah. They they felt like they they were they were fighting for, you know, whatever country they they, they were fighting for. And and um yeah, that was that was right before right before Wagner. I mean that's this there I mean, as much as they all the history of the fifty fourth falls in, they're really about a three month regiment as far as their lives go. I mean they they, they trickled later. Um, you know, Hollowell took over with the Battle of Alesti, but they just attacked a rear guard at that battle, but mm-hmm. their their real battle lives, as compared to the twentieth Maine or the first Minnesota or all these these ones that have gone on for a hundred years, they that was their whole lifespan was about three months. You know, yeah, it's like and just to see them when they are are going up the beach towards Wagner, like I got chills watching that. And yeah, I was crying because I was like, I don't want them to go because I, I knew what was going to happen. You know, I can't imagine like I it's one of those movies. It's funny. Like, so obviously living in Canada, not a lot of people are into the Civil War like I am. So I was asked by one of my colleagues, what did you do this? Week? What did you do? You know, like, how was the movie that you said you were going to watch? And I said, oh, it was really good. And they're like, oh, what happened? I'm like, oh, they they all said so they lose at the end. Like they don't take the fort and they're like, that doesn't sound like a happy ending. And I'm like, Oh, it's, I said, if you're looking for a movie with a happy ending, like you're not going to have Broderick up there, like waving his sword saying like, Hey, we took the fort. Like, no, they all like, they die. Yeah. That's tough. It was not a day at the beach. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, like to me, See, that's, like that's that, the, the, the part where he like lets his horse go, like, like, sorry, buddy, you're gonna die if you come with us. You got, and it's a horse. Like, yep. you just gotta go. Like, you know, um, the, the one. Otherwise, the one you're gonna. That... And then he, you know, it's this emotional scene mm-hmm. where he lets his horse go, and then he puts himself like in in it, where the horse he was cool not putting in it. You know, and that was powerful to me too. The two parts of that scene that that stick with me that just it's a kick in the gut every single time is when he te- when the reporter when he tells the reporter write what you see today. That scene does that scene. 
and when that other soldier who was was kind of the racist character says, "Give him hell, fifty fourth." Those those two scenes, the ones that stick with me, that those ones that get to me every single time, you know, um, because it just it kind of brings the whole thing circular. And you know, these are guys that they, you know, these white guys who did had no respect for them at that point realized they're leading the charge into this battle because mm-hmm. so we don't have to, you know, who knows if those those things ever really happen? We'll never know, but it's it's. I have to think they were thinking that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right, though. Like, it doesn't. And I think that's where a large, and I've kind of, you know, I think I made this point two or three times, so I don't want to beat it into the ground, but like, it's serving to sh- tell a bigger story. Like, yeah, it may not have happened exactly like that, but generally speaking, establishing their bravery, not them, but all of the black regiments and, and soldiers, and, you know, like an increased respect for, you know, very racist people to see, like, wow, they're, you know, pe- very good soldiers, you know, like, um, to see the humanity in, in, in black people, you know, in, in that era. Um, I think the movie does do a good job of showing that. And I, and I do, you know, I think a big part of it too is like realizing that this was made in 1989. Like this is a long time ago. I mean, it doesn't feel that long ago to us because like I, I've lived with this movie forever, but like, think about, in 1989, if your parents were like, oh, this movie was awesome, and you're like, seeing something from the mid-50s, you're like, holy cow, this is yeah. bad, dated, whatever. <laughs> um, it, it holds up. You know, I do think it holds up in many ways, and I think that they they did not shy away from the, you know, it wasn't this, like, hugely positive, like, oh, they, they, they were fighting and everybody thought they were heroes. Like, they still dealt with this, like, you know, horrible racism and all this other yeah. You know, so I, I do think the film did a really good job with that and, and telling the story in that way. It's I bet that a lot of people saw that movie who didn't know the history would have assumed because it's a movie that they saved the day at the end. Oh yeah, they, they raised the flag that Denzel's raising the U.S. flag and everyone's crying, and then they all get slaughtered. Yeah, like, what, yeah. what the hell's I yeah like this like the Civil this. War like remember the Titans even though that came out later but like that whole idea of like well of course they're gonna win this is like what the story is like they're, they're better they're whatever it's gonna yeah. this is how it's gonna work out yeah yeah Nick what but was, like it didn't matter like it did that did, like it's still they did win like the the bravery like the the sacrifice like yeah. you know it wasn't it wasn't about like well, well they lost you know it was like and not only from a narrative standpoint but from a historical standpoint it showed like that the sacrifice was them winning in the end of the movie. It was a, you know, not, I don't want to say happy ending, but like the moral of the story kind of comes full circle to say, like they gave the last full measure. Like that it would, that's what it was. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I, I completely agree with you. Um, Nick, what was a powerful scene for you in the movie? Well, outside of the ones that you've all mentioned, <laughs> To me, the one that always stands out, and I did not do my homework and watch it leading into this week, but the scene that always stays is the Denzel, the one teardrop down the cheek, man. Oh. Uh, I mean, that scene. Oh, the whip scene. Oh, my God. I was crying during that, too. Point, just, uh, you know, Denzel's the man. I mean, that guy knocks it out of the park um, all the time. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the end's great, like you guys were talking about. The movie definitely knows how to hook you in, like uh, Boyce was talking about with that fight scene at Antietam. Yeah. Uh, kind of showing you the carnage of everything. Um, I, I appreciate that it did not, you know, that that it chose a story. And, you know, war's hell. I mean, war doesn't always have a happy ending. Um, even when you are the hero, 
um, a lot of times in war, you you know, you pay the ultimate sacrifice, mm-hmm. and and I think that's important to understand. Yep. Um, and I think that makes it more important that it's that way. Yep. No, I completely agree. Yeah, Nick, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and and I think the the two elements of that scene that the, which is why I love the fact that they did do a historical inaccuracy and, and make it as if, you know, showing that they were formerly enslaved people when they show his back and they, and, and they see that there's already scars from, from whipping and you like see the look on the other actors faces like, Oh, you know, like it became real now that these people were enslaved and beaten. And then his tear, which is of course like, you know, you can just kind of assume that it's because like, you know, I thought I had escaped enslavement and I was fighting against it. And now I'm being whipped Mm -hmm. just like I was when I was enslaved. Like, you know, I don't think you'll find a better acting performance with no dialogue anywhere. I mean, like that's like the iconic. And of course he earned an Oscar for it very much. So, um, but yeah, I mean like, that's not just the scene from the movie. That's like an iconic scene in film history Mm -hmm. like that. um, You know, the way that they, I liked how the director made the choice to like, they didn't show the whipping, but you hear it. So yeah. like you, there's a sound. So you hear it and he, and he kind of makes that reaction every time you hear it. And then the soundtrack, the way the soundtrack is timed with his tear falling. Yeah. And like, cause like he's a fucking tough character. Like he's yeah. a badass. And like to see that, like, that, I agree. Like that's just like such a such a powerful piece of film filmmaking. Well, it's the scene too when he's when he's being offered that position by 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 Gould Shaw, mm-hmm. and he says, "I won't carry your flag." I saw. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up being the Sergeant William Carney of the real life is the one yeah. who grabs the flag. You know, it just it, it ties it together. Now, it's funny they kind of made him that character, and I kind of wish they made him Sergeant William Carney the whole way through it. Yeah, but they just didn't because. You know, he grabs the flag and it doesn't touch the ground. He he got the Medal of Honor for that. Carney did. And he was a he wasn't the first black soldier to get the Medal of Honor, but his act that earned it was the earliest ever. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. yeah. So he so he so that character from grabbing the flag, Denzel's character would have been the Medal of Honor winner for that for that scene. And that that song. Um, you know, what was it? Uh, Boys, the old flag didn't touch the ground. Yes. The Civil War song was yep. was about him. You know, that was the that was the William Carney song. So it's it's pretty neat when you when you see how it all kind of comes together like that. And um, but the movie hit all the buttons. It did. It, it's you yeah. know, yeah. In, in, in any movie, it, it, it's not a documentary, so it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate. But they take liberties, but it, it works. It it, mm-hmm. it just works. It's yep. it's just you know, it, you can't complain about it at all. Yeah. It, it, it's one of those uh, yeah. movies that if it sparks the interest, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, I, I think like the Grant miniseries, if it sparks that interest and somebody starts, you know, down that path to studying the Civil War, then it's done its job. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Just real quick to make a, just a real quick comment on, on Darren, what you were saying about like that. I, I really like this scene where he said, I'm not going to carry your flag. Like, that's the kind of um, scene I like compare that directly to like taking a, you know, the people who are taking a knee during the national anthem, like mm-hmm. you are seeing a Patriot. This person is willing to risk his life. He's fighting. He wants to fight for the cause, but to say, I'm not going to carry your flag. Like that's what that is. And I don't want to speak for anybody. I can't speak for, but like, that's what that is to say. Like 
yes, I'm fighting for this. I believe wholeheartedly in freedom, but I'm not going to carry a flag that represented that. Like, you cannot deny that that person is a patriot and made a mm-hmm. choice. Of course, you know, the narrative mm-hmm. changes a little bit, but, like, for the most part, that's kind of what he's saying, which I think yeah, is amazingly absolutely. powerful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a lot of subliminal, you know, very, you know, political, positive things that, that, is still, that still carry through today, that unfortunately, you know, with that. But, but it's... um. But it was a great scene, and they tied it together well. Um, they added some factual stuff with the Carney thing at the end, which I thought was pretty cool. Too. Yeah. Um, and, and if you don't study the battle or study the war, you wouldn't even know that that scene actually really happened. Um, but it's uh, if you watch, oh, that's who that's supposed to be. Yeah, which mm-hmm. made, it makes it kind of neat. That's that's cool. Um, so I think we'll start wrapping up our discussion about the movie now. So just um, <laughs> where does this, um, in terms of Civil War movies, where? Um, where does this sit with all of you? Like, is it your favorite, second favorite? This is the Civil War movie, isn't it? Okay. I mean, to me, I think it's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as Hollywood movies go, um, you know, I mean, there's not many to choose from, unfortunately, which is still mind-boggling to me that we don't have more Civil War movies out there. Right. Um, you know, Gettysburg... It's long. It's slow at points. We still have to do an episode about Gettysburg. <laughs> no, I mean, I like Gettysburg. I appreciate it. To me, Gloria, I mean, the cast. The cast alone of Gloria. I mean, it's cream of the crop. I mean, as far as some of the mm-hmm. best actors um, of our lifetime in there. And I put it ahead of, I think, unless I'm not thinking of one, I guess Lincoln you could include there. So yep, For sure. It's probably, you know, up there with that. I don't know if it's better than Lincoln, though. If you consider Lincoln a Civil War movie, I would put Lincoln ahead of every movie ever. Um, I think that because because it was made in the eighties, you know, the late eighties, um, I, I think that it was. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, I would put it very high. Um, I think I rank it higher because you know, and I think all the four of us are of a similar similar age, or at least timeline as far as our Civil War mm-hmm. fandom goes. Like it hit me at the perfect time. Um, and, uh, I do, um, like I, you know, when I went to Boston the first time, you know, I'm doing the freedom trail and seeing all this amazing revolution era history. And then you come to that, the 54th monument that is so prominently and well displayed in the movie. It's pretty, it's very moving. You know, you, there's the, you know, Joe Hooker's not too far from there. He's got a really nice monument, really close, um, uh, bigger, more prominently placed and doesn't doesn't even hold a candle to the to the fairly small but like very moving monument that they did to the 54th um so yeah it's definitely definitely something that for me shaped my view of of the civil war and and i think that it's you know it's, it's a great movie i i think i mm-hmm. put it definitely toward the top and i agree with nick that there's not a lot of competition which is a bad thing because you know there's most of the civil war movies were like horribly historically inaccurate stuff from the early days of cinema. Yeah. You know, I can't even remember the last civil war movie that's, that's come out. Um, that's, that's been decent. So very, very highly rated for me. Yeah. Darren. I think, I think glory would have to be number one because it, for one, it's, it, it, it's, it's a state, you know, it, it survived the test of time mm-hmm. for one. <laughs> there was no fake beards, which is. Behringer's fake beard in Gettysburg. Anybody, anybody, Anybody with a beard can appreciate a real beard, okay, <laughs> instead of gluing it on, okay? But the reality was, 
is is you know Gettysburg is is probably second, I guess. But that is is more just it just told a story about the battle. It's more of a battle than a war movie. It didn't talk about any of the background political stuff. It didn't talk about the mood of the nation. It didn't talk about anything. Glory told the story, the sociological story of these black soldiers and the integration coming out of the Emancipation Proclamation and putting them into society in the role of a soldier and how society dealt with them. And so it, it was more of a, of a thinking man's movie as far as the Civil War goes. And, and, and unfortunately, the issues of today still exist, and they're always going to exist realistically. But you can look back on that and say, these guys you know, did everything. They, they, they died for this country when no one wanted them to, if you think about it. And, it, and so it really, um, it, it, it's more of, a war, more of a Civil War movie. It's more of just a society movie, I think. Um, that's, that's obviously geared around the Civil War. But I think that ha- just for, for all of that, the cast, um, the story it told, that the overall h- historical implications of, of the 54th, um, that has to be one. And you know, to, to, even to you know, to Nick's point, there's there's not a lot. I mean, what gods and generals? I mean, the the, the movie we watched the other night, the uh, Free State Free, of Jones, State of Jones good. yep. That one, that one's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but but for the most part, I don't think directors really want to spend a lot of money in these historically risky movies. To be honest, now, and I but but I, I'd like to see more of them. Um, Field of Lost Shoes is pretty good. Mm-hmm. You've seen that one. Um, that one's not too too bad. Um, but there's not too many more unless you count. Call with the winds oh, and all, no, that, all those don't. all those movies, but <sighs> Lincoln Vampire Slayer. That's up Vampire. there. Right? That's one of my, I like that one. I'm the only one on the show that likes that movie. I like it. I like it. it grew hey, they made me. the Confeder- they made the Confederates demons. How could you hate it? You know? <laughs> That's a terrible movie. A, I have the, book, the, book, the problem is the book is. The book, the is, book really is cool. phenomenal. Yeah. The movie yeah. is terrible. Yeah, we actually we did an we did an episode about it. It was really fun. I want an HBO miniseries dealing with a border state, specifically Missouri, in the Civil War period. I think there's so much you could do character wise and stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I want. Yeah, the, the, the John, John Brown, Brown documentary is going to hit Kansas. There you go. Yeah. 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 yeah the John Brown miniseries, I should say, that, that's going to hit. I read the book. It's it's very much a border state. Yeah. yeah. Kansas. Yeah. And Ethan Hawke is John Brown. I'm on board for that. Yep. Yeah. Um, That'll be pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that one too. Um, for me, that's not that's HBO. That's on like Cinemax or something, isn't it? Some movie station. Showtime, maybe. Showtime. Showtime. Yeah. yeah. It, it won't air here in Canada for like ten years, so I'm, <laughs> I won't be seeing it unless I find we'll a... those those stills like in the boxing from the '80s. We'll just send you pictures of it. Yeah. So you yeah. Can see how it exactly. Yeah. Like with Grant. <laughs> yeah. Although I managed well, to, I gotta go to school soon, and I live in the United States, and COVID's running rampant, so I might not see it either. So <laughs> here we go. Um, so for okay. me, for me, Glory is definitely my favorite um, Civil War movie, and probably one of my favorite movies. Um, it's a, it's up there with Lincoln for me. But yeah, there's like you know, like Nick and Darren said, and Jeremy agreed too. There's not a lot to choose from, and I don't really. <laughs> this is going to be an unpopular opinion maybe with some people i don't really count gone with the wind as a civil war i i don't know i just i had a conversation with a relative and i was like i asked them i said did you see glory have you seen glory and they're like yeah it was okay and i'm like oh and i just said i'm like what's your favorite civil war movie and they're like gone with the wind and i'm like okay all right <laughs> No wonder you thought Glory was okay. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it, it has stood the test of time. It tells a, like a very, very important story. The soundtrack is so well matched to the movie. It is so well cast. And um, I just, I'm glad that the story of Shaw and his boys in the 54th gets told in that way. And that they're remembered because of that, because it is a very important story to tell. So, yeah, that's what I think of it anyway. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so I think that will wrap up our discussion of glory. So, Darren, thank you for joining us for that. That was really, like, wow. The history of the 54th is so fascinating. Um, no, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. It's always good to, to talk. Yeah. It, well, I think we'll definitely have you back again sometime to talk more Absolutely. Civil War stuff like Lincoln assassination, all that for sure. So we have a weekly feature and we like to let our guests do it when we have guests. So our weekly feature is this week in Lincoln, which I was talking to you about already. So um, do you have a this week in Lincoln for us? Who, me? Yes, you. Okay. <laughs> well, I have a Lincoln bobblehead on my desk in the office. So That's I will awesome. take a picture and send it to you. Yep. So, so when I do something wrong, he bobbles his head, he shakes his head on <laughs> unceremoniously at me when I screw up at work. So I get that. <laughs> so I feel that it feels what it likes to be Halleck or Stanton, I suppose. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, that's, that's, so I get that. He looks over me every day. Awesome. Um, and just before we wrap up tonight, I do have something I want to talk about. Um, so Dave Taylor, who has been a guest on our show, I think three or four times. Nick, was he on with us twice when it was, we know, did a two parter, I think did a two parter. And then Nick and I had him on for something. Um, so tonight he posted a photo he, he posted a photo of this mask that he had made and I responded and I said your mask game is strong and I said this will probably be a this week in Lincoln at some point so then he tweeted out so at Miss Bellatrix and Rail Splitter Pod complimented my strong mask game when when I showed her my custom presidential box at Ford's Theater mask made by Contra Duke I'm gonna butcher that um, I did retweet this already on our Rail Splitter our our Rail Splitter Twitter account. Taking her words seriously, I've decided to make an actual game out of it. So what Dave is doing is um, all the masks that he's had made are um, Lincoln assassination related. And some are obvious, but others are really obscure. And if you follow Dave on Twitter, he is at Lynn Conspirators. So L-I-N and then Conspirators. So basically Lincoln Conspirators. Um He's going to post one mask a day for the next week, and the first person to correctly identify the image on each, each mask will be entered into a drawing for a free ebook. Um, he hasn't decided which book, but I will be gift. <laughs> he will be gifting, but rest assured, it will be about the Lincoln assassination. Um, and he said, "I figured this will be a fun way to encourage everyone to wear a mask to help stop the spread of COVID nineteen." So. Head on over to at Lynn Conspirators and be sure to follow Dave Taylor and participate in that fun thing that he's got going on. Um, so I just want to give him a shout out on the show because he's always been a great guest to have. Um, and then finally, I want to thank Darren for joining us tonight. And you can find Darren on Twitter. And I hope I don't <laughs> screw up your handle like I did the other night. Darren J. Weeks at Darren J. Weeks, right? You got it. Yeah. And you tweet a lot about the Civil War, um, but you throw humor into it. And trust me, his tweets are, you're going to learn from them, but they're also very humorous too. So it's a great melding of those two things with history and humor, which is awesome. So 
thank you for joining us for this. This was really good. Yeah, thank you. Been yeah. great. Oh, my pleasure, guys. You, this, this is the best. You guys have a lot of fun with this. Uh, oh. It's great to listen. Finally, be on the side of the the microphones yeah. and listening. I listen. I listen to you guys usually when I take my walks. I listen to it. Thank you. So, um, Confederate Monument was a good one. That was one of my favorite ones. Thank you. So. Yeah, Nick and I really enjoyed that so one. I'm a avid listener and an avid fan. So I don't remember what I said. But. <laughs> now you now you became, now that you've been on on the show, you're an honorary rail splitter. So there you go. Absolutely. Yeah, rail splitter Darren. And <laughs> Nick, you don't remember what I said? What on the show? What the Confederate Monument? You're like I don't remember what you said. <laughs> Me? Yeah. Well, you said it was good, so I usually black out in those moments. <laughs> you were on fire that night. It's like, uh, it's like Will Ferrell in, uh, what is it, Old School, when he goes on yeah. there and he comes off and he's like, oh, <laughs> I don't even know what happened. <laughs> and just all, always thank you to all of our listeners. Um, head on over to our Facebook page, too, because there's always a lot of fun discussion going on over there. And we have um Twitter account as well, which I'm trying to post more on. So I think that wraps it up for tonight. So on behalf of Nick, Jeremy, and Darren, keep walking the world with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we will see you next week.